Uh, Norm read Psalm 91 for us this morning, and I think it was uh, certainly appropriate, and it, uh, it fits in with what I'm going to be talking about today. I'm going to be following along. The pastor's been talking about faith, and I guess you could call my message today a type of a, a faith message, but in Psalm 91.2, Norm read, it's, the writer says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. And that's what we're talking about today is uh, trusting God. Uh, I'll be looking at uh, some, t- some parts of David's life today. In Acts 13, verses 14 and following, we, we can find Paul on his first missionary journey in a synagogue and the city of Antioch. They were reading the law in the synagogue, and after the law and reading the law and the prophets, Paul stood up to speak. And he said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. And he proceeded to deliver a condensed version of Israel's history from the time they were in Egypt until up until the, the current time. And he ended, he ended talking about Jesus' resurrection. And he says, through him, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And in this discourse, uh, secondly to his mentions of Jesus, another individual uh, received special attention from Paul. And that was David. In Acts 13, verse 22, this is what he said. He said, after he, being God, had removed Saul, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all of my will. In verse 36, he says, for David, after he had served the purpose of God, In his own generation, he fell asleep and was laid among his fathers. What an obituary. After he had served the promise of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and was laid among his fathers. Boy, I hope they say something like that about me when I'm gone and about you as well. Having done God's will and served his purpose, he fell asleep. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, David was chosen by God, predestined to fill God's purpose, but from David's side, he had to live that life out, that calling out. And that's the way it is with us. We have to, we've all got a calling from God. We're not all called to be David. We're not called to be kings. Uh, They're probably not going to be writing any books about us. But nonetheless, we all have a specific calling. God's called us for a purpose. None of us are here by mistake. We all have a a specific niche in God's kingdom that we are to fulfill. So how was David able to fulfill his calling through all the highs and lows and many trials that he had to overcome? Where did he get this steadfast faith? Where did it come from? 
and how did he maintain it to the end? If we could gain some insight into that from David, perhaps it's hopefully we can apply that to our, to our own lives. And with that in mind, I'd like to look at Psalm 62, which was a psalm that David wrote. David wrote many psalms, and they're written from his experience. They're his testimonies, his prayers, his praise of God, and they reveal the heart of the man. Now, when David wrote Psalm 62, he was an old man. A long list of memorable events in his life with distant memories. His anointing as a young shepherd boy by, by Samuel to be king. His defeat of Goliath, his many battles. His tragic sin against Bathsheba and Uriah. Returning of the ark to Jerusalem. But now the, the king, is, his hair is thinning, his hair is gray. He writes Psalm 62 during the greatest crisis in his life, the rebellion of his favorite son, Absalom. Absalom sought his father's crown, and he sought his father's life. And David loved Absalom with all his heart. It, was, it just tore him apart. And if that wasn't enough, uh, David's closest uh, friends and helpers, many of those turned on him. His trusted right-hand man, Ahithophel, turned to Absalom to crush David. So now the aged king was forced to flee his beloved Jerusalem and again seek refuge in the wilderness. These events are recorded in 2 Samuel 15. David and some of his loyalists had trudged out of Jerusalem, crossed over the brook Kidron, and David began to ascend the Mount of Olives. And it says in 2 Samuel 15:30. This is, if you can just picture this, this is what we see. David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives and wept as he went. His head covered, he walked barefoot, and all the people that were with him each covered their head and went up weeping as they went. It's against this backdrop, this context, that David wrote Psalm 62. And he bears a soul to us. So in Psalm 62, let's see the heart of the man. My soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. My stronghold, I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will you assail a man that you may murder him, all of you, like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They have counseled only to trust, thrust him down from his high position. They delight in falsehood. They bless with their mouth, but inwardly they curse. My soul, stand in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. 
He only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. My God and my salvation, on God and my salvation, my glory rests. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people, and pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Men of low degree are only vanity, and men of rank are a lie. In the balances they go up, and they are together lighter than breath. Don't trust in oppression. Do not vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, don't just set your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and loving kindness is thine, O Lord, for thou dost recompense a man according to his work. What a glorious psalm. And what's amazing about it is that in spite of the tragic circumstances that we went over that uh, preceded this, there's no note of discouragement. There's no anger, fear, bitterness. There's no lack of confidence in God. Rather, David writes an upbeat optimistic, glorious song, praising God and encouraging all to put their trust in God and God alone. There's no complaining from David. How could he do this? How, how could he write so wonderfully and positively and trusting about God, given his circumstances? Verse 1 says, my soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. This first half of verse 1 sets the tone for the rest of the song and gives us the key to David's steadfast trust in God in spite of circumstances. God only. God only. That's what... David is looking to God only. Charles Spurgeon labeled uh, Psalm 62 as the only psalm. That's only in quotation marks. Four times in 12 verses, David uses the phrase God only or he only speaking of God. David stress, stressing the importance, the necessity of putting our trust in only God. Not man, not riches, not our intellect, not our politicians, God only. David's life was never easy, and it was very complex. Yet, on the other hand, he had a way of making life Simple. His solution to all issues, all problems that came up, anything that needed uh, contemplation was to turn to God only for deliverance and understanding. Four times in this short psalm, David said, God only is my salvation. Three times he says, God is my rock. Four times he says, God is my refuge or my stronghold. He says, God is my hope. God is my glory. He says, power and loving kindness come only from God. 
God only is David's message to us today. Contrast that to verses 9 and 10. He throws in, he says, hey, don't, don't trust in men. Doesn't matter whether lowly men or of high rank. Don't trust in them. He says they're all lighter than air. And he says if you happen to strike it rich, don't put your trust in that either. Because riches are fleeting. You know, some years ago, I don't know, I lose track of time, and, and I, don't, <clears throat> I don't keep my messages, so. And I preached a message called The Fox and the Hedgehog. <clears throat> Excuse me. Could have been two years ago, could have been ten years ago, I don't know. But <clears throat> Achilochus, uh, the Greek poet, in around 680 B.C., uh, wrote this. The fox knows many things, but the hedgehog knows one big thing. You know, the fox, we've, living around here, we've probably all seen foxes. They've got different strategies for different problems. They're always running around looking, looking for stuff to eat and it seems like they're always looking to get into trouble to me, but uh, they have different strategies for different problems. They even have the different strategies for the same problem. Uh, they're crafty, fickle. Their curiosity sometimes is their undoing. They're always in motion, always look like they could use a good meal. Uh, the hedgehog, on the other hand, he, he's not big on nuance. And he doesn't suffer from indecision. He's got one solution to uh, any problem that comes his way. As he goes about his business, if trouble comes, he just puts his trust in the great gift that God gave. He just rolls up into a prickly ball and waits for trouble to pass him by. As long as it takes, he just waits till the danger's gone and he goes about his business. David certainly didn't take the fox's approach to life's trials. Rather, he just turned to God, waited on God to save him. Now, that doesn't mean, when we say wait on God, that doesn't mean David just, uh, a problem came by, he just sat on a stump and waited for lightning to come down from heaven and consume his enemies. He sought God's direction. What should he do? Did he have a part? Did he have a part to play in this? And most of the time he did. What do I do? What do I leave to God? We, we probably wrestle with these things. He didn't wrestle with them. He just listened to God. A case in point as to uh, how we often have a part to play and. God's deliverance is uh, David's uh, conflict with Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. We all know the story. Uh, David was sent by his father Jesse down to the, to the front lines of a confrontation between Israel and the Philistines, and David's brothers were down there, so he brought him some cheese and some other things, and uh, 
The Philistines had offered a challenge to Israel. It was a winner-take-all. They said, look, we, we got this guy over here. We got this Goliath guy. If you've got somebody that come down and fight him, then the winner, if you win, will be your slaves. If he wins, then you'll be our slaves. So that was the, that was the proposition. Uh, Israel was having trouble uh, finding somebody to fight this nine-foot-tall guy. It says that uh, when all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. As just an aside, when there's no, when there's no faith, there's certainly going to be fear creeps in. You probably know from experience that in your life that faith, faith and fear try to occupy the same, the same space. If you have faith, there is no fear. If you have fear, there is no faith. So David, as we know, accepted the, accepted the challenge. They dragged David up to King, King Saul and presented him, and they said, hey, we, we got somebody who's going to fight this dude. And Saul says, where is he? He's standing there in front of you, and Saul looks down, and there's David. He says, oh, I'm sure he rolled his eyes. And David's... <clears throat> Saul had a word for David. He says, look, David, you, you've got no shot against this guy. Have you seen him? He says, you're just, you're just a youth. He's nine feet tall, and he's been a warrior all his life. In 1 Samuel 17, we can read, uh, we can read David's response. In verses 34 and following, but David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came, I took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him and it rescued him from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he's taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the power of the lion and the power of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, good luck. Then in verse, uh, so it, after uh, David tries on Saul's armors, that doesn't, that's, doesn't work at all. David went and grabbed five stones for his sling, and he approaches the giant. Now, first, Saul had, uh, Saul had doubted David. Now, Goliath uh, sees this kid coming, and he's, he's just said, this is stupid. He had all the disdain for, for this guy. In verse 40, pick it up in verse 43, the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come after me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And Philistine, the Philistine also said to David, come to me, I'll give you your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you've taunted. This day, 
The Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down, remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. David wasn't really shy, was he? And all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by the sword or the spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Then it happened, the Philistine rose, came near to meet David. David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine, put his hand in the bag, took a stone, slung it, struck the Philistine in the forehead, stone stuck on his forehead, so he fell on his face to the ground, deader than a doornail. Contrast uh, what David said. He says, Goliath, you're coming with earthly weapons against me, sword, spear, javelin. But he says, I'm coming in the power of God. That's all I need. He didn't boast in his slingshot and his skills. He says, I'm coming to you in the power of God. David's total trust was in the Lord that day. And he understood that uh, if he did his part, God would do his part. So David always sought God for the when and how (coughs) pertaining to a situation and waited for God to unfold his plan. This was, this was David's life, God only. In Psalm 25, David spoke during an earlier time of trial. And this is, uh, in your Bible, you'll see that this psalm is labeled something like a prayer for protection, guidance, and pardon. In verse 1, He says, unto thee, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Verse 2, O my God, I trust in thee. Verse 4, make me know thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in the truth, for thou art the God of my salvation. For thee I wait all the day long. And in verse 15, he says, my eyes are continually towards the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Where was God, <clears throat> David's expectation? From God alone. I want to talk just to give you a little bit on God being a rock, and then I'll end up with some thoughts about the source of David's faith and how we can apply it to our own lives. Getting back to Psalm 62, says, My soul waits in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. He only is my rock, my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be greatly shaken. In verse 7, he says, On God my salvation and my glory rest. The rock of my strength, my refuge is in God. In verse 7, David calls God the rock. There is no other. 
In Deuteronomy 32, uh, Moses said, Ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect. In 2 Samuel 23, 47, David says, The Lord lives, blessed be my rock, and exalted be God, the rock of my salvation. David not only recognized God as the rock, he is the rock, there is no other, but he also called him my rock. You know, there's a difference between the rock and my rock. God is a rock, but is he your rock? Do you stand on the rock? You know, he's a great rock with great, great mass on a flat top, and you can stand on him securely. Nothing can shake that rock. That's if he's my, if he's your rock. He's my rock. He says, my rock, if I'm, when I'm standing on my rock, I shall not be greatly shaken. I heard a testimony of a testimony. I didn't hear this in person, but I heard a testimony of a, an older woman, a saint, a saint of the Lord for many, many years. And she was testifying at a meeting and she got up and spoke and they were talking about the rock. And she says, you know, sometimes, sometimes I tremble on the rock. But you know what? The rock never trembles under me. Sometimes we tremble when faced with adversity. But if we're standing on the rock, we're on solid ground. The rock under us is not going to tremble. We're secure. Not only did David stand on the rock, David lived on the rock. In Matthew 7, verses 24 and 25, Jesus speaking, he says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. Now, what do you do in a house? You live in a house. You don't visit the house. You don't go there when things are bad. You don't run to your house. You live in a house. Compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock and the rain descended, the winds blew and burst against the house, and yet it did not fall. Why? For it had been founded on the rock. God is the rock on which we stand. Only God. There's only one rock that can't be moved. Amen. And that's our God. I got a final word about David's faith. You know, it's a common lament that I hear. I've, I've heard it a lot over the years. Is, I wish I could have more faith. Anybody ever hear that or say that? I wish I could have more faith. I wish I had the faith of David. You know, I don't have all the answers when it comes to 
faith. I'd, li I'd like more faith, just like all of you, I'm sure, would. But I, I do know a couple of things. I know that David didn't get his faith by wishing for it. And I also know that we can all have more faith if we could follow David's example. You see, David, David wasn't born with great faith. David was flesh and blood. He was a, he was a man. He was, he, he was like we, we are. He wasn't a god. He worshipped a god. He stood, stood on his rock. His god was his rock. But his faith grew over the years as he waited in silence for God only. I'm sure after he got uh, anointed by Samuel to be king and he was still a shepherd boy, I'm sure he spent many nights out there with his sheep thinking about that and looking up at the sky and, and talking to God. I'm sure those were years that grew his faith. See, God gives every man a seed of faith. You can have, you can have faith. God's, God's given you the, the seed to have faith. And David, by waiting on God, allowed time and allowed that seed to, to grow and to mature. You see, I see faith as in God as a fruit that grows out of our knowledge, understanding, and pursuing God. As you pursue God, not faith, we don't... You, I think you're missing out if you pursue faith. You want to pursue God. An increased reliance, trust, or faith, if you will, just kind of sneaks up on you. Like it says in the psalm, that goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Well, that's the way it is with faith. If you're, if you're seeking God, you know, that faith is going to be creep, creeping up on you as you continue to nurture your relationship with God. I'm going to give you a short story, and then we'll, we'll close it up, because I know everybody's getting hungry. As a child growing up, <clears throat> I spent a lot of time at my grandparents' uh, house. I spent some time living there with my family, <laughs> visited there many times uh, in later years, but they had a small house in the country. They grew all their own vegetables, canned them all, and, and as part of, part of this uh, lifestyle, they had a field of potatoes. They had a whole year's worth of potatoes in that field, and they'd put them down there in the root cellar. Root cellar. I can remember going down there and digging, Tom, go get me a couple of potatoes, go down there and rummage around in the dirt in the corner of the cellar and bring up the potatoes. So they had this field of potatoes, and I have memories of planting, planting potatoes. I got memories of going and picking off the potato, potato bugs, going down the rows, picking potato bugs off the plants, squishing the eggs, the potato bug eggs on the bottom of the leaves. Those are good memories. I was feeling, I think some, someday this spring, I was feeling a little nostalgic. I said, you know what? I think I'm going to grow potatoes like my grandparents did. You know, potato farming's in my blood, of course. So 
I went, went under the sink, grabbed a couple market basket potatoes, and buried them in the herb garden. And what do you know? They grew. Not the potatoes, but a plant. Pretty soon I had plants growing out there, potato plants. Now, if those of you who know anything about potatoes, you know that's not a quick uh, that's not a quick harvest. You plant them in the spring, and you've got a long wait before you see mature potatoes. So for the next few months, uh, I'd go buy those potato plants every day, and I'd make sure that they were watered. I'd make sure that there weren't any potato bugs on them, and I'd make sure the rabbits weren't eating them. I'd make sure the mint wasn't crowding them and taking away their light. So. I spent a lot of time, paid a lot of attention to those plants. And all this time, all these months, there's no potatoes in sight, of course. I don't know if there's potatoes or not. All I'm doing is I'm taking care of these plants. In reality, I'm not growing potatoes, I'm growing these, these potato plants. That's what I focused on. I figured the plants, they get, they're the ones with the responsibility of producing potatoes. I can't do anything about that. I can just take care of the plants. Fall came, Clarine and I walked out to the potato field, well, the herb garden, and we started digging, and there was loads of big old potatoes there, some as big as softballs. The plants had done their job. The plants had done their job because I had done my job. And that's the way it is with our God and faith. This is the way I see it. If we faithfully seek God, pursue our relationship with him, spend, spend time with him in the word and listening to the word and praying and turning to him, with, <clears throat> he's going to provide the faith. We're talking about faith now. He's going to provide the faith we need when we need it. David's Great faith was the fruit that came as a result of him walking with God. I'll leave you with one final word. Don't wait till you need potatoes to start watering the plants. My soul, wait in silence for God only. From him is my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. Can you say amen? amen. At this time, we'll have a final song and I'm going to bless I'm going to bless the food now and I'm going to bless the people and after uh, after the song we'll have a prayer team up here to to pray for anybody who needs who needs prayer father we thank you for this this delicious food that you've provided for us today lord and just ask you to bless it strengthen our bodies with it and bless the people that uh, prepared it. Lord, I ask you to bless these people today, Lord, to plant a hedge about them. Keep, keep them safe, Lord. Keep them close to you. Inspire them, Lord, to follow you closely, Lord. For you alone are our rock and our fortress. You are the rock of our salvation. We thank you for all that we have, Lord, and bless this day and bless these people in Jesus' name. Amen.